You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode number 20. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelena Levin and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Всем привет! Hey, son, allihop! Hello! Hello! How are you? Hello! Oh, very well! What about yourself? Yes, good. Very good. Very good. Very well. What is the weather like in Sweden? It is cold. It was snowing yesterday. I was totally shocked. It's. Uh... Oh, I want to be there! No, you don't! It's cold. It's terrible. You don't <gasps> want to be here. I don't want I to be here. I prefer cold. Can I come over to you? I'll go to England for better weather. That's how bad it is. <laughs> Actually, I quite I quite like the weather in, in England. Well, uh, good because you. I hate I hate hot weather. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so much for me living in the time of global warming. But um, never mind. Mm. Well, another week has passed. Well, time is flying, man. Yeah, yeah. But we've got a lot of nice feedback again. Um, people are loving our interview with um, Julia Offe. We got a very nice mention on uh, GVUP's website. Oh, did we? Good. I didn't see that. Yeah. For which we are very grateful. That's very much appreciated. And uh, we got contacted by someone who shared a story with us. We received an email from Rob, um, who kindly shared his very interesting story um, uh, that was, uh, well, this email was triggered by, by us uh, talking about what's the harm um, in, in our last episode. Um, and so he kind of reflected on it. Um, and he's, we will link um, the advertisement he was referring to in his email um, in our d- description but basically he's saying that he's seen an advertisement uh, on local TV and decided to uh, call them the company up on what they're advertising and the advertisement was very cute I've, I've watched it myself uh, it was um, um, about this some 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 natural product that used only natural ingredients um, and the, it began with a little bee flying through the factory and trying to pronounce a very complicated word um, and mispronouncing it and sort of making um, a really disgusted face and so basically he decided to complain about it saying that the advertisement um, makes, makes use of the internet meme that you should not eat what you cannot pronounce and we know we all know who well most some of us know who that person is who's spreading the uh, misinformation about the so-called unnatural chemicals that if it you was, can't uh, pronounce it was Mata Hari, right? Food babe. <laughs> yeah, if you can't pronounce them, you Mata, can't eat Mata them. Hari, no. And, oh, oh, sorry, been... Vanny Hari. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, she's been called out on it so many times and so many uh, bloggers uh, took her apart. There's no point even going into it. If you want to follow it up, you can find it, I'm sure, on the internet very easily by Googling. But basically, um, it's a nat- naturalistic fallacy where you're saying that everything natural uh, is um, um, good for you and everything... Um, chemical chemically produced is bad for you and of course it's very easy to disprove you know you just mention uh spider venom or whatever it's uh, things that found in in nature can also kill you but in any case he called the the advertisement agency up and said look um i don't think this um advertisement is is good enough you're just spreading this you know this wrong information that um, misleads our public and they called the lawyers, a bunch of lawyers over and I think poor Rob spent some money and time uh, in trying to get somewhere but he didn't because he's only one person acting against a big company and the defense that they basically presented him with was that they didn't say that um, it is good for your health the natural thing, uh, which is true. They didn't explicitly say that in, in the video um, and they got away with it. But they did say that whatever the b- poor little bee couldn't pronounce seemed to be bad because of the way it looked. 
Um, also, they uh, use they were using a cartoon character, and so they were allowed some artistic freedom of expression and exaggeration in inverted commas. Um, so there was, there was just you know obviously they they knew what they were talking about and uh, the right things to say, and he couldn't get any further. And and he said that it's it's a shame that this kind of thing or this kind of advertisement and misinformation is easily spread on mass media and of course because it's so colorful and the music is lovely people kind of drawn into it and it's subliminally you know um probably is being accepted by the view viewers that mm. yes you know if you can't pronounce this bad so yeah what's the harm and the harm is that um people do perceive that you know, like, like I said at the beginning, everything that's natural is good for you and everything is chemical that you can't pronounce is bad for you. So um... That's very interesting. By the way, uh, I just uh, listened to the latest episode of the um, Skeptic's Guide to the Universe and um, they had a name that logical fallacy um, moment uh, on the show. And Stephen Novella made a very good point about the naturalistic fallacy that it's basically it's a different different thing in philosophy and naturalistic fallacy so what we should use and i i made that same mistake on the last episode i think it was um, what we should uh, actually use is the appeal to nature fallacy but that's that's uh, that doesn't change it that it's it shouldn't be used and it's it's complete and utter bullshit yeah, and it shouldn't and it should definitely not be wrapped in this like a sweet colorful Absolutely wrapper not. and present presented to the consumers because consumers don't have time or desire or they don't even care yeah. they're just gonna swallow it all and just like say yeah. okay well yeah now, I, I, yeah. think, you know, I think this is a case where you can you, you, the, the company has a lot of money so they can bring up a lot of lawyers and say a lot of bullshit and you, bullshit and you can't really you can't afford to contradict them but really uh, I mean if you have a cartoon you can't argue that a cartoon can say whatever bullshit they want to just because it's cartoon. They still have to make uh, uh, well, uh, take yeah. a responsibility for what the cartoon says. It's not like Mickey Mouse can say whatever he wants to do because he's Mickey Mouse. Yeah, but apparently there's some liberties they can take. But also, we're going back to the point that William Betts talked about. You know, we do need some strong uh, legal support on our side, which we don't have at the moment. Yeah, but on the other hand, um, if you think about it, we are trying to tell people what they should say and what they shouldn't say. But actually, it's it's a matter of freedom of, freedom of speech. I, I came across an interesting thing. Um, Massimo Polidoro j- just recently shared um, a picture taken in Venice at the door of a bar or just the hanging tablet um, saying that I am responsible for what I say, not for what you understand of it. And that's a very interesting thought, but um, I think there is more to it. Because you be if, if you are a responsible speaker, if, if you speak responsibly to others, then you need to take into account what they might understand and how they might understand that and, and how it will affect them. That's responsible speaking. But... Non-responsible speaking is there in society because of free speech. So what we have to do is challenge these stupid, idiotic things that are put out there. And uh, and that's what ha- has to be done. And interestingly, earlier on, we received an, another email from uh, Bob. By the way, thank you very much, uh, Rob, for uh, sharing that, that uh, story with us. Yeah, and thank th- you very much. Yeah, yeah and thanks, Elena, for, for interpreting it. But Bob, who's um, not only a regular listener uh, of, of our show, but only he regularly contacts us with uh, new information, uh, specifically from Spain. As I understand, he lives in Spain and he, he, he works as, a, as an English coach or teacher uh, in Spain, which is cool. Um, but he shared a lot of information with us. And... He did some some search for uh, Boaron and how in the different countries how Boaron is um, is explaining their own work. And for example, uh, about homeopathy, they say in Spain on their Spanish website, they say that 
it works in curing several uh, diseases and conditions. But in the UK, on the other hand, they are a bit more cautious in their choice of words. So they say it might work for this and that and that. It might be effective. So it's, there is this slight difference based on what country they are, they are trying to sell their stuff in. Yeah, so they're adapting the message to to Absolutely. to not to not break the law in the different countries, and they may, can do do it differently in different different countries. And it's it's a very sneaky do, it's a thing to do, but uh, but that this is this is how they go on. Well, thank you very much. Um, if any of our listeners have something else to share with us, then please don't hesitate to do so. Uh, we are eager to uh, hear your stories, ideas, and events as a matter of fact and uh, that's what's coming up uh that we're going to talk about a few events um please contact us you can follow us on twitter our twitter handle is at espodcast underscore eu um you can also write us our email address is info at theesp.eu um or follow us on facebook and we also have a website um which is theesp.eu where you can fill in the um, uh, contact form yes indeed do contact us so let's see what's gonna happen uh, across Europe in the coming week we hope to release this uh, episode on uh, Wednesday the 27th and we've already talked about Eastbourne Skeptics in the Pub. Turns out that I won't be able to go, which I really regret. I, I'm very sad about that because I really wanted to see uh, Paul Zanin and uh, hear uh, him talk. Next time, probably. Uh, but we have two additions to our calendar for that day. In Italy, in Turin, uh, organized by Cicap, there is a Skeptics in the Pub on the 27th. Uh, it's Dr. Eleonora Galmozzi who will talk about uh, supplements and what's really in them. Vitamin, tonics, slimming, anti-aging and things like that. Sounds very interesting. It really does. Um, there will be a Skeptics in the Pub in Reading um, in England on the 27th of April uh, with Simon Singh. Um, he is a science writer and he will be looking back at his 20 years as a science writer discussing topics ranging from mathematics to cosmology and from alternative medicine to cryptography. So there'll be a Q&A um, where he will be answering some questions about his books. So that's the 27th uh, Skeptics in the Pub in Reading. And on the next day, on Thursday the 28th, Edinburgh Skeptics will hold a cinema event. Edinburgh Skeptics Cinema Presents is the title. And the title of the movie is The Dish. It's um, set in 1969. In the time of the first moon landing, it's it's set through um, a radio that is, uh, that is receiving and that is being listened to uh, during the, the, the live coverage of the event. Uh, so that that must be a very interesting film. Uh, hope to hear about it uh, later on. Also, on the twenty eighth of uh, April, uh, on Thursday, Tenerife Skeptics in the Pub will happen. E E E P, Skepticos in the Pub. A picture is worth a thousand lies. Is the title translated into English? There is not too much information about uh, what that uh, talk is going to be about, but uh, the title is definitely interesting if you're around the area in Tenerife. Must be a nice place. On uh, the 29th, we in, in Belgium, in Veteran, there's a Skeptics in the Pub where they will talk about philosophy. Sebastien Valkenberg is a philosopher and he will talk about if everybody has their own truth. Also a very uh, interesting topic. On Friday, also, an Italian town called uh, Porcia uh, in Italy, uh, up north, will hold a conference with the title Vaccines and Hoaxes Between Conspiracy and Pseudoscience. 
based on the title, it uh, probably will cover many angles of the same um, topic that we usually talk about. Um, how hoaxes are surrounding this and uh, how conspiracy theories are formulating around uh, anti-vaccination movements. But also on the same day, Santiago de Compostela in Spain will hold a Skeptics in the Pub event with none other but Antonia de Oñate, um, whom we had um, on the show before for an interview. She is the chief executive of the Spanish Skeptical Organization, Society for the Advancement of Critical Thinking. And what she will talk about is skepticism in history, as that is her area of expertise. Uh, we don't have too much information about uh, events during the weekend, although we've done uh, quite an extensive search for these events. Um, but what we know of is, uh, again, back in Scotland, in Glasgow. Glasgow Skeptics with our friend Eggman, who's uh, also a regular checker, and uh, and we're very uh, happy that he regularly contacts us uh, with uh, new stuff. And, uh, yeah... Uh, it seems that they have a Skeptics Board meeting, Glasgow Skeptics Board meeting, on on Monday, uh, the 2nd of May. It's already May, it's unbelievable. And uh, the word board in this, it's spelled B-O-R-E-D. So I don't know how much or how boring it can get. I've been to some board meetings in my days and uh, it can happen either way. Yeah, they can be, but if it's an open event, as this one seems to be, then it doesn't necessarily have to be boring. So go along if you have the time. It's the same place as uh, where the Glasgow Skeptics in the pub usually happens, the Admiral pub. It seems like that's about it for the coming week. So if we missed something, then we're sorry. But uh, if you let us know in advance, then we can assure you that it's going to be included um, in uh, the, our list of uh, events. And also it's going to be on our calendar, which you can find on our website, theesp.eu. And you just have to find the menu item, Events in Europe. All right, um, I think we have nothing else to do but to get on with our interview with Chris Peters from Sense About Science. Every week, we interview someone who represents a skeptical organization, group or project, either from a certain European country or stretching across borders. This time, our guest is Chris Peters, who's currently a scientific affairs manager at the UK-based non-profit organization Sense About Science. He has a PhD in plant science, and he's now supporting the Ask for Evidence and Libel Reform campaigns within the organization, as well as running the Plant Science and Energy Online Expert Panel. But we should also mention that Sense About Science has several other important campaigns. Some of them are international, including the one we talked about on several occasions in the show, All Trials. Chris Peters, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for inviting me on. Happy to have you on the show. Yeah, it was about time, uh, because we've mentioned Sense About Science so many times that it could really not be postponed anymore. So how we met you first was at the European Skeptics Congress in September 2015 in London, uh, where we to you talked about the great campaign Ask for Evidence. Uh, would you like to enlighten our listeners about what Ask for Evidence is and uh, what the achievements of it are so far? Yeah, sure. So, um Yeah, it was great to do that talk at the European uh, Skeptics Congress. Um, they asked me to come along and, and kind of finish the weekend 
um, with a talk about how people could go out and do something, you know, not just sit back and be angry um, that they've seen something they don't agree with or they've seen something that's not based on any evidence, but actually go out and do something and, and kind of change the way uh, the world works in a little way of their own. Um, and so naturally that meant talking about the Ask for Evidence campaign, which in a nutshell is uh, it's a public campaign that helps um, anyone ask for evidence about a claim or a story or, or, or something that they've been told. So, for example, you know, we are bombarded every day by claims about what is you know, good for our health, uh, what's bad for the environment, how can we improve the way the education system works or reduce crime or improve the way we farm our food. Um, you know, lots of these claims are based on you know, really reliable evidence and scientific rigour, but um, many of them are not. And on the one hand, it's difficult to spot which claims are kind of evidence-based and which ones aren't. But it's also a really important aspect of the campaign that we are holding companies, politicians, you know, journalists, commentators, official bodies, NGOs, campaign groups. We need to hold them to account for the claims that they're making. Um, what we've found over the last kind of uh, two or three years is that if you ask people for evidence, then they expect to be asked for evidence in the future. And that's a really important point because it means that you have this cultural shift within that organization that they are expecting to be asked for evidence from the outset. So they make sure that they have the evidence there to begin with. And that's what we're hoping for this campaign is that we get you know, hundreds and hundreds, thousands of people asking for evidence and really changing the way that companies, politicians, you know, individuals out there who are seeking to influence us with their uh, decisions, that they are, on the whole, more evidence-based as a result of people asking for evidence. So that's the campaign in, in, in a slightly nu large nutshell, I guess. Um, <laughs> um, and I guess what, what I like sharing most about the campaign is the stories. So examples where people have gone and asked for evidence and it's you know it's, it's made a difference um and so you know there's lots of these examples we'd love to get more examples especially from uh you know the rest of europe and internationally um but i guess my favorite one was uh katie who went to vision express so vision express is a um, a national uh, chain of opticians in the uk um, mm. and she was told that she would have to have the latest lenses otherwise her eyesight would deteriorate um, she wasn't sure about this. She wasn't sure about spending, I think it was about £200 on a new pair of lenses. Um, so she decided to ask for evidence from Vision Express head office. And they got back to her really quickly to say, um, you know what, you've been, you've been, you've been misinformed. Um, we should never have given you that advice. We have a responsibility to you to be uh, up to date with the latest kind of scientific evidence and we've let you down. Uh, we're going to do an investigation into that store and we're going to change uh, the policy across the entire company to make sure that sort of advice is never given again so that's one person you know protecting themselves from having to spend money on something that wasn't based on any evidence but also changing the way an entire company is doing its business um, and hopefully protecting other people in the future so you know that's the power of asking that's the power of one person asking for evidence it can make a real real difference that's really fantastic. That is absolutely mind-blowing. It's just impressive. What's the, the the actual line of steps that are taken from the actual question being asked to a, a, this kind of a change? So when we launched the campaign, we had we had postcards. So we were saying, if you see a claim that you want to ask for evidence about, write it down on this postcard send the postcard off to, you know, the company or the individual or the MP, the politician, the MEP that's made this claim, and then let us know what they send you back as, as evidence. And this was great because lots of people were doing it. They were, you know, sending us twit pics of the evidence that they've sent and the postcards they were sending out. But we weren't able to really keep a track of, you know, how many people were asking, what they were asking about, which is all really useful information. And so what we did at the end of uh, 2014 was just to build a website um, supported by the Wellcome Trust, which effectively took Ask for Evidence online. So if you go to you know, www.askforevidence.org, uh, you can ask for evidence directly through the site. So you could be taking the bus home from work, 
you could see an advert on the side of the bus i don't know says something like tired of feeling tired try some new food supplement and it will give you a boost of energy or something like that mm-hmm. um, take your phone out take a picture of that advert upload that picture to the website and then it'll automatically generate you an email to send to the company behind that advert to say hey really interested to know a bit more about the science behind your product um can you send me the evidence and when you click send it goes from your own email address and it creates like a public announcement on our website that someone's asked for evidence so you can also go to the the website and look at all the things that people have asked for evidence about you know in the history of the of the website so it's got things like you know juice diets um claims about dyson vacuum cleaners coconut oil um you know daily mail headlines claims about the eu referendum claims about um a migra stick which can cure your migraines you know there's all these logs which i'm looking at i'm just scrolling down the page now um i don't know if they're going to have good evidence or not but i'm looking forward to seeing what people get sent so that's basically the process um from seeing a claim and then asking for evidence Mm. How much is this only for the UK and how much is this international? Can I do this from Sweden and from Hungary and from Italy? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the website, um, it, we're, we're obviously we're based in the UK and I think most of the people who've been using it so far have been you know, UK based as well. But there are already some international examples on there um, and we want to see more of that. So I encourage the three of you and all of your listeners to go out and ask for evidence. I expect many of you, you know, being in the skeptic community, are already asking for evidence um, in your own ways. Um, And that would be great to share that with us and and tell us about that as well. You have lots of material for ask for evidence that can be used in in, uh, classrooms and uh, educational material as well that could be translated into other languages, right? The best thing to do is, you know, if you could put some information about, you know, accompanying the podcast, make sure my email address is on there. And if anyone wants to do any sort of translating for us, then they can get in touch with us. Um, we shall also have a couple of our publications being translated fairly soon. I'm not sure when we're going to launch it. But we have a guide to um, kind of reading how to read science stories, being able to ask this question, has it been peer reviewed as a way of kind of talking about whether something's got good evidence or not behind it. And we're going to have that in at least Spanish and German. Um, And I'm not sure when, but hopefully in the kind of next six weeks or so. So maybe when that comes out, we could have a little shout out there as well. Mm. But that's a, a huge amount of work behind such an effort that 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 you're making there. So th- you mentioned the Wellcome Trust that is uh, be- behind some of it. Uh, I'm, I presume it's financially. But uh, what resources do you have? Uh, how many people are there working for the organization? Uh, you have volunteers. How is this all built up? Because and, and this is not the only campaign that you're running. Sure. So since about science, there's now 11 of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and not all of us are working on Ask for Evidence. We've got various different things that people work on. Um, <clears throat> but the Ask for Evidence campaign is, is kind of the main campaign that Sense About Science is running at the moment. You're right, the Wellcome Trust um, support for this was financial, but they've also helped put us in touch with other groups who can help promote it um, and also help with the expertise because I've, I've made a lot about you know the process of going out and asking for evidence um, but the other side of it is understanding uh, the evidence that you're sent, which is sometimes really not straightforward. You know, if someone, uh, we had an example of someone who got sent 120 science papers as evidence for the claim that they were making. Um, <laughs> most people, right, that's the end of the conversation. No one, no one <laughs> wants to read 120 science papers. Um, And so what we're able to do is at Sense About Science, we've got a database of over 6,000 scientists who freely donate their time um, to support our initiatives. Um, And they have said they are happy to help people, you know, understand the evidence that they're sent and be able to help them make a judgment on whether the evidence they've been sent is good or bad, Um, because it's not easy to tell sometimes. Uh, We had one chap, Mike, who um, asked for evidence. Um, for a product called Booty Tetox, 
um, from the high street store called Boots. Um, and this product is, is a, it's a tea, um, and it's meant to help you lose weight. And he mm-hmm. asked for evidence behind it. Um, and the company got back to him and said, you know, here's, here's some evidence. Here's a science paper in a published in a journal, um, which says that, you know, the ingredients of this, this product, um, have been shown to help people lose weight. Um, and Mike sent this on to me, like all of this happened without me realizing it. And then he, he got this evidence sent back to him and he, and he forwarded it on to me and said, you know, I've done this ask for evidence thing that you guys are doing. Um, and it's great. You know, I've got in touch with this company. They've sent me some evidence. This is brilliant. I really want to, you know, champion and champion the fact that they're using good evidence. Um, and I just thought I'd get it checked. I'm not a nutrition expert. I'm not a dietitian. So I sent it off to an expert and he uh, kindly pointed out that the science paper that Mike had been sent was about an ingredient which wasn't in Booty Detox anyway. So it was completely irrelevant. And that's not something that was immediately apparent. You know, you're sent something. It looks like science. You think, oh, that must be great. And then it turns out it's completely irrelevant. So we've got that expertise. <laughs> to help people, um, you know, work out for themselves what's what's reliable evidence. Um, I should also mention uh, our ambassadors. So we've got 10 uh, early career researchers um, um, from around the UK who are going out there and talking about Ask for Evidence to their kind of local communities. So, you know, we're very aware that there are lots of, you know, science-interested, uh, practicing academics, researchers, skeptics who are going out and asking for evidence. And we want to reach the campaign to new audiences. So that's what we've tasked our ambassadors with doing. And so far they've gone out and I think they've given about 40 talks to some really, really great groups of people. Um, and so we've already seen that, you know, you don't have to be an expert to ask for evidence. And that's really being shown by the audiences that these ambassadors are talking to who are going out and asking for evidence for themselves. You mentioned this uh, database of uh, scientists and uh, experts. Is that an international database? So if uh, there are um, other country-specific requests for evidence, do you have the resources to cover those as well? I mean, the database is certainly international. um, And I I, I would imagine out of those 6,000 there are, you know, representatives of pretty much every country, um, mm-hmm. certainly within, within, within Europe. Um, I mean, saying that though, science is, you know, science is without borders. You don't need to have uh, a Swedish scientist to, um, to talk about, you know, the quality of the science in a paper that comes out of a university in Sweden. You might need it if it's only in Swedish, <laughs> but, you know, a lot of the science that goes out there is published in international journals. Yeah. And uh, what's your role in the process of asking for evidence? Um, so you are the scientific affairs manager. Uh, what does that include? So partly it's going out and talking to people uh, like the three of you and your listeners and the audience at the European Skeptics Congress and telling them about Ask for Evidence in the first place. Um, It's also about going out and talking to researchers who are interested in getting involved in, you know, the the kind of wider discussions about science and the importance of evidence um, in everyday life and encouraging them to kind of stand up for science um, and take a role, take a more active role um, as, 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 as a citizen who cares about, you know, evidence-based policy. Um, and one way of doing that is to go out and ask for evidence. And we've seen a lot of, you know, early career researchers keen on that and getting involved with the campaign. Um, I also work with, you know, this database of scientists. When we get a request in for help, I'm the one who kind of brokers that arrangement to make sure we get the, the right expert talking to the right person. Um, and we've also got support from a number of different organisations um, for the campaign as well. So, for example, um, the British Dietetic Association, the Cochrane Collaboration uh, are both organisations that support the campaign and put their resources that they have to help people understand, you know, the evidence behind, you know, the specific areas that they're looking at. Um, and we make those public as well. Chris, can you tell us um, a little bit about yourself and how you came to join the Sense About Science? Yeah, sure. I was... Um, I was doing a PhD at Sheffield University. Um, It was a PhD in plant science. So I was growing lots and lots of um, Arabidopsis thaliana in controlled environment cabinets. If you don't know what Arabidopsis thaliana is, it's basically the lab rat for plant scientists. Um, I was growing a lot of it at different conditions, you know, 
to represent um, potential climate change and basically looking at how the plants responded, uh, which involved freezing them to death and putting them through a mass spectrometer. And that was quite time consuming. I did a lot of uh, lab bench stuff and I decided that actually uh, I'd like to move my career away from research and do a bit more about talking about science to the public, talking about the importance of evidence to the public. Um, and that's how Sense About Science came across my radar. Um, when I saw that uh, Simon Singh, the science writer, had been sued for effectively doing that, talking about the science and evidence um, behind uh, chiropractic or lack thereof. Um, and as a result of doing that, he was sued by the British Chiropractic Association um, and Sense About Science launched something called the Libel Reform Campaign with two other groups in the UK. Um, and that's how Sense About Science came across my radar. And I thought this is a really worthwhile group that I should be keeping an eye on. And then in 2012, a uh, job came up there and I joined Sense About Science permanently. Yeah, that's that's a great move. But now that you mentioned uh, the libel reform campaign, it was probably the loudest uh, among the achievements of uh, Sense About Science, with um, that campaign resulting eventually in uh, the Defamation Act of 2013. Yeah, that's right. It was a you know a huge achievement for 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 Sense About Science, for for English Pen, and for Index on Censorship, the three organisations yeah. that made up the libel reform campaign. Um, and what that effectively meant was that we have a new law in England and Wales, which um, makes it harder for um, someone to be you know sued for effectively talking about you know the science and the evidence, talking about you know, uh, the truth um, are on a matter of public interest. Um, mm -hmm. However, uh, the libel reform campaign continues. Um, Northern Ireland um, have refused to adopt the Defamation Act 2013 at all, and Scotland has only taken on um, a kind of a small aspects of the campaign. So we are still actively campaigning to try and improve uh, the law of libel in both Scotland and Northern Ireland. And if that's something that affects you, um, which it will do, then um, do go to uh, the website www.libelreform.org. Uh, there's a newsletter and there's a petition um, to keep you up to date with all the news for the campaign. That's great. And uh, for, for those listeners who don't know that, could you just uh, briefly uh, sum up what the Defamation Act uh, is changing? I mean, what change does it bring about? Sure. I guess there's three there's three main main changes. Um, the first one is that there there is now a defence, um, a public interest defence, which means that if you are speaking out on a matter of public interest, you have a defence if you are then sued for defamation. Um, and you know, this would require someone to go to the courts and actually test this defence in a, in in a court of law. Um, but the lawyers that we have worked with have told us that this is proving to be a deterrent for those who might go out and, you know, vexatiously uh, sue people for, you know, talking about the evidence behind, you know, or lack thereof behind their product. Um, and we're also informed that, you know, Simon Singh, were he to write that article that he wrote in 2009 about how, you know, chiropractic is not based on any evidence, then um, he would have this defence, this public interest defence to support him. Um, the other change to the law is a serious harm test. So um, if someone is suing you for uh, defamation, they have to show that um, your words have caused serious harm, i.e. either you know, reputation or financial harm. And I think, again, the lawyers that we've spoken to have said that this is proving a, you know, an effective deterrent to kind of balance the law of defamation in the right way, whereas before it was very much, uh, you know, unkindly balanced to someone you know writing in the press about you know like i said you know the science on an issue um and then the other change is that uh there is a protection for um what is written in a you know in a scientific journal so it was the case beforehand that you know let's take an example if i was to do a science paper about how um tobacco is uh, very harmful um 
previously I could have been sued by a tobacco company for defamation because I am harming their reputation, even though I have, you know, a rigorous scientific experiment showing that my words are in fact accurate. Now, as a result of the Defamation Act, um, there is this defense, whereas if you are publishing something in a, in a peer-reviewed journal, then you are not, you know, liable for the words. Which was the, the slogan of the libel reform campaign, keep libel laws out of science. What do you see as the greatest... That There is one obvious part of the successes of Sense About Science, that's resources, right? So... Um, it's it's a very fortunate situation that this organization has the financial resources to put all the effort in a campaign and to to really make a difference. But is there something else about Sense About Science that you would point at and say that this is what the key to, to success is? I would say more important than the financial resources um, is the fact that we are very good at working with um, others, working with other organizations and building up um, public support for something. So, you know, I mentioned earlier that we've got 11 members of staff. That really wasn't the case when I arrived. When, we, when I arrived in 2012, we only had six members of staff. So we've grown quite a lot over the last few years. Um, so, you know, the financial resources haven't always been there. Um, but what we have always been good at doing is, is bringing in other organizations um, and kind of joining them together as a, in a much stronger, much stronger call, amplifying those voices. So, you know, for example, the Libel Reform Campaign, we had, you know, hundreds of organizations joining that call um, for a change in the law and not just scientific organizations you know there was parenting forums there were um free speech groups obviously there were groups of journalists calling for it as well so it was a really mixed and varied group um likewise with the all trials campaign um there are you know i think at last count 649 organizations supporting the call for clinical trial transparency which is a huge number of organizations um and it's something which you know when you get to those sorts of numbers and you know the influence that some of those organizations have collectively that's when you're you're very very hard to ignore speaking of the all trials campaign this is something we've mentioned a couple of times in the show can you tell us a little bit what it is and there's a new directive by the EU on trade secrets and how that will affect uh, the campaign. I mean, the All Trials campaign, it's very simple. It's calling for all past and clinical trials to be registered um, and their full methods and summary results reported. So um, when I first heard about this, I thought, you know, the, the idea for this campaign, when we were back in the Sense About Science office in the meeting room um, mulling over this idea, I, you know, I thought, well, is that not the case already? Why is it that clinical trials are not being registered and their methods reported? You know, that scared me. That really scared me when I found out, you know, that the medicines that I'm potentially going to be taking when I'm older, or, or, or maybe not when I'm older, maybe maybe next week, um, aren't going to be potentially based on all the available evidence. Um, and so that's simply what this campaign is calling for. We want greater clinical trial transparency. Um, you know, the examples that, you know, really shocked me was, you know, Tamiflu, um, you know, a drug that was stockpiled by the UK government to the tune of half a million pounds based on the results of something like 20 clinical trials. And then, um, you know, four or five years down the line, it came to light that, you know, there were in fact 70 clinical trials that were done in total. Um, and when you analysed all of the clinical trials, not just the ones which were, you know, chosen originally, it turns out that Tamiflu is far, far less effective than you know what it was claimed to be to begin with um and you know, that's a huge amount of money that one government has stockpiled has spent and i suspect there are many other governments around around the world which have done the same based on only you know a kind of half a picture mm. um, and so that's what the all trials campaign is calling for we've we've changed the way things work in the uk um with you know future trials we've changed the way things work in the eu with future trials um but you know there's a lot more to do and you mentioned you know the trade secrets um directive you know that's a worry for us we're not sure how that's going to be interpreted we're not sure how that's going to implement in, uh, impact on the kind of eu clinical trials directive which is going to supplant the other um yeah there's big worries about that um and we 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 hope that the campaign's gonna gonna make some you know 
proper and lasting change which is it's done so already but i think there's more that we can do and if you haven't already then you certainly need to sign the petition for this it's um it's at www.alltrials.net the petition is currently edging towards a hundred thousand people um and if you are a member of an organization then you should certainly get your organization to sign up and as i mentioned before there's 649 organizations in total that are supporting it and that ranges from you know medical colleges uh medical associations patient groups uh veterinary colleges anyone who has anything to do with um clinical trials or anyone who has anything to do with patient groups um really should be adding their voice to this call Chris, you've mentioned petitions a few times, um, and I'm sure Andres and Pontus um, have come across many petitions that were, uh, we, well, friends asked us to sign or we saw online. Do they actually make a difference? I know when you ask, for example, for financial support and raising funds on GoFundMe campaign, you know, that's the, there's a physical sort of thing that happens. People give money and that gets used to do something but with petitions does it actually make a difference if a person clicks on a link and then signs it and sure sure i mean you know in the case of the libel reform campaign we 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 got the petition we presented it at parliament at a big rally of supporters and you saw you know you know you saw the politicians walking in for this meeting they thought it would be a small kind of working group discussion about a quite a niche area of the law which there wasn't really a great public outcry about and you see them walk into this room and do a double take of the fact that there's you know you know 200 people in the room and they've got a petition with like 60,000 people people on it you know that sort of thing can make a real big difference um there is another issue about online petitions though and i mean i'm often frustrated about some of the petitions that get forwarded to me on social media and over email and things like that and you know sometimes these petitions are not based on good evidence and there's no real way of holding those people behind those petitions to account um and that's something that frustrates me quite a lot and i'm not sure yet what what we're going to be able to do about it um but you see a lot of them you know you know i don't know calling for a ban on something or or whatever and the kind of references at the bottom you know will be a newspaper article um you know that's not the sort of evidence that we're looking for when you want to ban something you know you need a little bit more than a newspaper article for that um so i guess we have some petitions they can be effective they can be um, a force for, you know, evil, let's say, as well. Um, so, yeah, be careful what you put your name into. Yeah, I mean, it's good to know because uh, sometimes I felt um, that signing petition doesn't change anything and nobody actually sees it. Um, but maybe if somebody like, you know, uh, somebody like you who is in a position to see wh- where the petition's going through um, and seeing them through the end, th- how they actually make a difference, it's good to know that they do work. So, Yeah, a campaign is more than just a petition. It's, it's following that up. It's keeping people involved. It's pulling the right levers at the right time, um, which is, yeah, like that is a lot more than just, you know, putting a page up and having a petition. Are there any pharmaceutical companies among the supporters? Yeah, absolutely. There's a there's a couple of um, uh, um, pharmaceutical companies who signed up to the campaign. Uh, GSK signed up very early to the campaign, um, and they committed to um, uh, registering and reporting the summaries on their trials going back to the formation of the company, which I think was in 2000. So they've been, you know, very 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 quick to to get on board the kind of movement towards uh you know clinical trial transparency and that's that's really important and there are other pharmaceutical companies who haven't necessarily added their signature to the campaign but have taken you know some big steps to uh, make their data available to 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 scientists um you know, in in a kind of safe haven agreement so that they give their data to a a group at a university and then people can apply to that university group to have access to that data to to do kind of independent analysis on that. So I think what we're seeing is certainly a wider movement towards, you know, greater transparency here. Um, And we hope that there are pharmaceutical companies that will join the campaign and make sure that, you know, when history judges them, they are on the right side of this, of, of the right side of this campaign. The one company, pharmaceutical company, that I'm very sure wouldn't find uh, on the list at all 
even if all other pharmaceutical companies sign it, is Boiron. Oh, really? The tell one. me. Tell me. Tell me about them. They are the ones responsible for the production of almost all the homeopathic remedies in Europe. So. Oh, really? <laughs> um, well, we would encourage them to, to sign the campaign as well. That would be nice. That would be nice. To make sure all the clinical trials that they're running on their, on their homeopathic uh, medicine, um, make, those, make those clinical trials available. I'd, I'd be interested to see what they do with that. Uh, you know what? Since we're talking about all trials, but we, we formerly talked about Ask for Evidence, um, we initiated, um, based on a, a similar effort from Spain, to use a hashtag, Ask Boiron, uh, on Twitter. So what we need to do is ask for evidence from Boiron. Exactly, and, uh, exactly. <laughs> yeah, because we've talked about them a lot uh, on, the, on the show. And uh, yeah, they... They don't really provide very compelling evidence. Can you uh, tell us about the um, all trials in in America and internationally? If well, if there is anything to to talk about internationally, um... yeah, sure. I mean, Sense About Science um, launched Sense About Science USA um, at the beginning of last year. So we have a, a kind of sister organization operating in the US, and they're running the all trials campaign out there. Uh, we had some exciting news probably just over a month ago, which was that the uh, uh, the American Medical Association joined the All Trials campaign, and I think there were another 50 organizations from the U.S. who who joined All Trials at the same around the same time. So the campaign is very much happening in the U.S., um, um, and we are very keen to kind of improve the situation out there as well. And uh, does that mean that you're stretching to other countries as well, like uh, Canada or um, somewhere around Europe uh, in the same way? So do you have plans in the future to establish um, branches, local branches? I mean, sure. We are, we're always looking at working with other organizations um, with either similar aims to our own or, you know, a similar, you know, passion for the importance of evidence. Um, and if you're out there and you walk, work for one of those organizations and you haven't heard of Sense About Science, then get in touch because we want to hear about you. Um, in terms of opening up other offices, um, we will be opening up an office in Brussels in the not too distant future. Um, we think that you know mm. there's certainly something to be done there um in, you know in terms of the european commission and helping to improve uh the use of evidence uh in, in brussels and you can all look forward to to what the uh sense about science eu office comes up with um in terms of other countries i think again you know if there are other groups out there we don't want to be kind of um reinventing the wheel we don't want to be uh repeating things that other good groups have been coming out with so um at the moment it's a case of making sure we, we know the right people we're speaking to the people who are going out there and doing 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 the kind of the good stuff that we would be encouraging people to do and this is why we encourage our listeners if if you are one of those people if you know someone if you are in contact with those organizations um please get in contact with uh, sense about science because that's that's what we need for the international collaborations to to build up that network um there is another thing uh it's the plant science and energy online expert panel it has a very scientifically sounding name what is that exactly so they're, they're two separate uh, online expert panels. So there's the plant science oh, okay. panel and then there's the energy panel. Um, but what they are is a group of independent researchers who have said that anyone can ask them any question to do with, you know, anything to do with plant science or anything to do with energy generation. Um, we've chosen these two topics because, you know, it is very difficult to get you know, um, a sensible answer 
when it comes to plant science, when it comes to energy generation. There is a lot of confusion out there. You know, a lot of the discussion out there is really, really charged, really, really polarized. And so what the panels try and do is to cut through all of that. And if you've got a query, if you've got a question, if you read a headline, you know, it could be about GM, it could be about fracking, it could be about nuclear power. If you've got a question and you want to know the science behind it, then you can come to the panel and you can get that answer. Um, what happens is you send the question to Sense About Science on Twitter, on Facebook, or you can do it over email, and we've got a form online. And we'll put that question directly to a researcher and we'll send you back the answer. And we'll also publish those answers online so you can see the three or four hundred or so questions that the panel have answered so far and what this is really important is is this is a standing offer from the research community to say if you've got questions you know we can help you with the answers um and it's a really important initiative because it is scientists being open completely open about the science that they're doing to say look if you've got a question you can come and ask us brilliant last but not least uh, we are uh interested in the John Maddox Prize for standing up for science. I believe you are now building up for the 2016 uh, awards or for the nominations and can tell us what it is and maybe mention a few of the people who have received the prize in the past. Yeah, sure. So um, the John Maddox Prize for standing up for science is now in its fifth year and the prize um, It's basically for an individual anywhere in the world. It's an international prize who has promoted, um, you know, sound science and evidence on a matter of public interest and has done so, you know, facing um, hostility. Um, the prize is uh, a joint initiative with the journal Nature and the Cone Foundation. Um, it's a £2,000 prize to an individual, um, which we'll be awarding in November of this year. So the nominations have just opened, um, and I expect all of you have, you know, someone you know, a hero, a science hero that you know or that you kind of, uh, you know, uh, have heard of who you think might well deserve a nomination for the prize. So please do um, go to the Sense About Science website um, and click on the John Maddox Prize and you can nominate um, that individual online. Um, We think it's a really important prize. It really matters to us. You know, there are lots of science communication prizes out there, but there are no science communication prizes which take into account the fact that, you know, many people out there talking about science are doing so in a very difficult and very challenging kind of environment where there is a huge amount of adversity and they've gone out of their way and taken responsibility for the public discussion, you know, well beyond what is expected of them um and that's why we think it's such an important prize um and that's reflected in the kind of status of some of the the previous winners so i expect many of your uh listeners will be familiar with professor edzard ernst we had him on the show for an interview yeah. indeed so edzard won the prize um just last year um for the kind of tremendous work that he's done you know standing up for science and and, and the lack of science in kind of alternative medicine um And similarly, on on an international note, the winner of the inaugural prize back in 2012 was a was a a science uh, journalist, actually, from China who um, exposed a series of stem cell clinics, a series of bogus stem cell clinics um, and, you know, ended up getting beaten up and left for dead by a group of hired thugs as a result of going out. And, you know, talking about this malpractice, these these bogus clinics. Um, and that didn't stop him because he kept on doing it. Um, and, you know, that's the sort of adversity that some of these people are facing. Um, and they're still going on out there and, and banging the drum for the importance of science. So if you know someone along those lines, then please um, nominate them for the prize. And like I said, it's an international prize. And after the nominations, uh, is there a um, uh, kind of a committee that decides uh, on on who's getting the actual prize? Sure. So there's um, there's a judging panel, um, and you know the nominations close at the beginning of August, and then we'll have a furious time. Um, Uh, working out who's who who deserves to win the prize because we get so many high quality nominations that it is you know it is a difficult job weighing up all of these you know heroic um science communicators 
but the judging panel thankfully that doesn't fall to me that falls to the judging panel which uh, consists of professor colin blakemore uh, tracy brown from sense about science um sir philip campbell who's the um, editor-in-chief at nature um lord reese of ludlow uh, and most recently is natasha loder who is the journalist or a journalist at the economist so that's the judging panel they all sit on the panel in a personal capacity and those are the ones who have the unenviable task of um <laughs> choosing the the the, the, the john maddox prize winner our listeners out there if if you have someone you know of who you think would deserve that prize you should nominate them um, and you can do it until the beginning of august well to be honest i am absolutely overwhelmed with everything that that we just talked about and i kind of feel like uh, as i did when i was listening to you at the, the european skeptics congress and i i remember everyone in the audience just nodding uh in in agreement with with what you said and we were quite amazed that it's kind of a simple idea that you should ask for evidence and it's the same with with the old trials the libel reform campaigns and you are actually doing the this work which is very respectable and uh i absolutely praise a sense about science and yourself for it and it's it's been only what 14 years since the foundation of the 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 organization sense about science we started in in 2002 yeah It's because of the help that we've been given along the way that we've been able to have the impact that we have because it's people, like you say, who are sitting in the audience nodding um, and going out and helping us and going out of their way mm -hmm. to, whether it's asking for evidence or whether it's signing a petition or whether it's kind of coming out and supporting uh, you know, a rally for the libel reform campaign or writing to an MEP about you know, a bit of legislation going through the European Union. It's people putting their shoulders to the wheel and helping, helping us in, in the cause that, that, that we've, we've decided we need to take a lead on, which is because someone has got in touch with us and said, this is an issue, we think you should take it up. And we've said, you know, we absolutely agree. So you, you basically build on the, the works of, of those who, who understand that even if a small step is made, it's still better than not doing anything. Right? I mean, absolutely. We've seen that it doesn't take, you know, a lot of people to change the way a company, you know, does its advertising or does its staff training or the support that a politician has for a particular policy. Um, you know, it doesn't take a huge number of people to make those changes. Um, but what it does take is people actually going out and doing something. It doesn't have to be lots of them, but they do have to go out. And in this case, it could be asked for evidence. Um, so you can make a change as an individual. You can make a difference. Um, So go out there and do it and let us know about it. And on that note, I'm afraid we're, we're going to have to finish this interview. This is what we have, we've had uh, time for. But uh, I'd like to thank you again, Chris, for uh, coming on the show and, um, and discuss everything that Sense About Science is about and uh, what this brilliant organization is achieving. Uh, so, Chris Peters, thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Thanks very much. Thank Thanks you. a lot. Goodbye. Bye-bye. No wonder that, that we've mentioned Sense About Science on many occasions on the show, because it's so cool what they're doing. Mm, it's a very it's, interesting organization, and I really love what they're amazing. doing. What would be even better than uh, what they're doing now is uh, raising their activities to a European level, which seems to be happening actually with uh, the office to be opened in Brussels in the near future but of course it can be that um, there are other organizations with similar actions somewhere in Europe we just don't know about them if that is the case please let us know what we missed probably due to language barriers as obviously it is much easier to find an organization in an English speaking environment Uh, but even if there are others, uh, Sense About Science undeniably does a terrific job in bringing science and evidence closer to the general public, and we should praise them for that, um, as well as help them 
in their efforts as much as we can by participating in their campaigns, spreading the word in your own countries, signing petitions, etc. Well, I'm afraid this is all we had time for today. I uh, hope you enjoyed the show and please join us again next time. But before we go, let me remind you that the Podcast Awards nominations are still on. Wink, wink. We would very much appreciate a nomination in the science and medicine category. So if you think we're worthy of that, please don't hesitate to nominate us. Thank you. So I'd like to thank you guys too for joining me today. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Goodbye. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Rob and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu, and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe Yes. Yes. <laughs> we got an email. <laughs> yeah, I'm just... It's, I'm, I'm a, you, know, you know this joke about the giraffe? Why does it take for giraffe to take, you know, take such a long time for giraffe to get something? Because he's got a really long neck, so it takes time, you know... Anyway, um, so same same with you. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a bit of a giraffe. <laughs> In the time of the first loon mending, the uh, <laughs> <laughs> loon mending, yes. Okay, loon is a bird actually. The lunatic. So, yeah, oh, sorry. So you can man, you can mend a, a, a loon. <laughs>